Lord, as we look at your word tonight, we recognize there are sometimes things that uh, in this world are difficult to understand. And so we ask that you would give us clarity, um, that we would uh, understand your heart more. And Lord, that uh, we would uh, be just aware as your Holy Spirit teaches us all things. In Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew chapter 7, let's read verses 1 through 6. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give to to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and attack you. So this is perhaps one of the most misused and misquoted scriptures in the history of mankind. Non-believers will say, don't judge me, man. Jesus says not to judge. Um, And that's not... All that Jesus is saying here. We need to understand context. We understand this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. He's been talking about the heart and what that looks like. And so we need to realize practically that we make judgments every day. So consider the scenario of a young daughter. um, And she's got this date that's going to come pick her up. He knocks on the door. um, His... You open the door and he just smells like marijuana and he's all tattered and he calls you dude. Uh, uh, And he's 30 years older than your daughter. Okay, (laughs) chances are you're going to make a judgment in that situation, right? Uh, And so so we need to realize that, 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 again, the audience that Jesus is talking to, we kind of talked about it a little bit in Bible study this morning, that, that Jewish mindset was so different than what we have today, is that, is that Jesus was often calling out the Pharisees and those who have been raised in the Jewish culture, um, let's be careful what you think about others and let's make sure you understand what your real state is, uh, your real need, um, that plank. So again, we need to understand, I think, in this context, the difference between judging and judge- judgmentalism, right? We don't want to be judgmental people, but we need to judge things. We need to judge them rightly. Um, so John seven twenty four. let's jur- turn there. John seven twenty four. Jesus says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So how can he tell you, do not judge, lest you be judged? But then here he's saying, do not judge by appearances. Well, he's kind of, he's kind of indicating the same thing. He's like, you need to understand how to make a right judgment. And you people who are trying to, to make your righteousness by the law and by your practice, you're looking down on other people. Um, but woe to you, there's a big old log in your eye and you're trying to navigate a speck in your brother's eye because you think you're more righteous than them. So be careful how you judge. And so if Jesus were not telling us to judge in Matthew, why is he telling us here to judge in John? Well, the simple answer is the Pharisees. See. I was just saying that culture, though, I was just thinking of going through the whole Torah or the whole Old Testament. Uh, they're set apart. You know, 
they had to make judgments every day. Are you clean or unclean? Are you know? Uh, right. Did you uh, did you meet the uh, the temple uh, recommend or the temple uh, requirements? Uh, the Gentiles come around. Uh, you go over the after. I can't eat at a Gentile's house or have anything to do with it. the woman at the well. Where being a Samaritan, Jewish men don't have contact with us Samaritans, and so basically, uh, in that culture, it would seem to me between the law uh, and where they're at, uh, it's probably not not too uncommon to judgment. No, and we, and we need to understand that the Pharisees were always judging people. And placing their ideas, their ideas as a standard and not the standard of God. Um, they ignored their sin to create a separation between themselves and others. And, and so you kind of see that even with the log in your own eye versus the speck. There, there's a separation there that you've created because of just your own ideas of righteousness. So judging can be defined as this. As discerning truth based on facts. Right? We hope when we go to a court of law that the judge is going to make a judgment um, and discern the truth based on facts. That's what we pray for and we hope for. Right now we know lawyers get in the mix and there's a whole bunch of loopholes in the law. But we are going to make a judgment. Uh, hopefully when you judge, you're making a discernment of truth that's based on facts. Um, so, I mean, do have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, so does everyone need Jesus? Yeah, that's a judgment, Right? You, have you received Jesus as your Savior? No? Um, well, you need Jesus as your Savior. Just saying you need Jesus as your Savior is a, is a, is, is a judgmental, not a, is a statement of judgment based on facts. Based on facts. Um, because of our belief system. But you're not judging them to hell. Well, we got to understand that. And you're not judging yourself as better than them. And that's what, again, Jesus is address, addressing that heart. You're not better than anybody. Just because you are a Pharisee or just because you're a practicing Jew um, does not make you better. Just because you're a, a Christian who shows up to church every time the doors are open and you read your Bible and you pray consistently, but yet you look down upon others who do not do that, that's just as bad as what the Pharisees were doing at the time. Judgmentalism, however, is, is finding fault with people, being critical without cause based on appearances, assumptions, and your level of comfort. And I think that is really where we see a lot of judgmentalism. I'm just not comfortable with you, so I'm making a judgment on you. Or I'm saying you're less than, or you're weird. Um, and it might be true, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of weird people out there, right? And they might like that title. Um, but the reality is some of the challenge we have in church today is when people come in who aren't your normal person that comes to church. James addresses that extensively. Don't give the better seat. You know, give it to the, the poor guy who's smelly in the back, right? Is what he says. Give him, to the, give him the front seat. Um, and, and so there's no partiality with God. We make those, those judgmentalisms all the time. So let's look at James, since I just mentioned him. Chapter 2. James 2 will go verses 1 through 13. James 2, 1 through 13. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man is wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and you say, you sit here in a good place, well, you'll say to the, uh, to the poor man, you stand over there. 
or sit down at my feet? Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Were called? If you really f- fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so that's something that that we really need to understand is God is a merciful God. And he desires mercy over anything else. And he showed us that. He was very merciful with us. I mean, we deserve the wages of sin. And yet the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ. So one thing we must be careful to do is to not judge too quickly. Now, maybe you've seen some of these guys who dress up as homeless people on the street and they try to kind of trick people or see who's going to actually help them. And the whole idea is to really show um, the, the state of, of how people feel about those who are homeless. Now, we're not going to get into the, the whole homeless thing because that's just an easy, low-hanging fruit, easy target uh, to pick on. Um, but the reality is we make judgments all the time, um, even without knowing it. And it's not necessarily right. Some things that we judge, if are, do we have enough information that we can discern the truth based on facts? Or are we just making a reactionary... Uh, now, again, be safe. Don't let some creep in your car because they need a ride, right? I'm not saying that. Um, but, but the point is, because there are some facts that would back up not doing that. Uh, but, but at the same time, if you see somebody in the store and they don't look like somebody you like, are you, do you take the other aisle? Or do you walk around them? Or do you think poorly of them? I know I struggle with that with certain other faith traditions. Uh, instead of grieving for the fact that they've been believing a lie and grown up in a lie, I just get frustrated and say they should know better. And it's like, well, that's... And God's like, yeah, you're one to talk. So uh, I should have known better and it took me some time to get there. First Samuel chapter 1. We see this in the Old Testament too. First Samuel 1. It's here somewhere. You digital people are so fast. Uh, verses, oh, First Samuel 1, <laughs> 9 through 20. Now, background on this is that um, we have Hannah here. Hannah is longing to be pregnant. Um, she's kind of leaning on Elkanah, her husband, to say, hey, how come I'm not pregnant? He goes, what am I, God? <laughs> and so she goes, and she's griefed, and she's... Uh, she's praying. So verse 9, After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and praying to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor, razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. 
Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you be on, go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my lord, I am, a trouble, I am troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then went, then they went back to the house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Now Samuel was the one who anointed the first couple kings of Saul. Or of of uh, Israel, Saul, and then David. So it was a great prophet that was known, and a priest that was known in throughout Jewish history. But look at the initial reaction of Eli. Ah, oh, she's drunk. You know, let's, now there's. We're not going to talk about Eli. There was, you know, him sitting down meant something that he shouldn't have been sitting down. So we, there was a heart issue with Eli. Uh, but the whole reality is he was quick to judge this woman at the altar, pouring her heart out to God because she was only moving her lips and no sound was being made. And so we see upon further investigation, maybe he should have said, hey, can I help you with anything? Or is everything okay? And then heard. Instead, he's like, get out of the house. Quit being drunk, you know? Um, so. so I think we, when we come upon situations, there's a couple of things we need to do. We need to, number one, ask ourselves, do we have all the facts? Do we have all the facts? You know, I don't know. I love hearing people's stories. And so that's, some of it is, um, you know, if there's someone new that comes to the church, um, I'll, I'll just hear their story. I'll try to hear their story. Because um, then I get more facts to be able to understand them a little bit better. Am I making my conclusions then based on what I know? Always need to do that too. And then am I simply uncomfortable because of appearances or my assumptions? Steve? Are you busting me for going to Walmart? Okay. No, because you don't wear your pajamas there. You're fine. Okay. Um. <laughs> I just, just was wondering, you know, judging you. <laughs> when I'm in the parking lot, I have to confess my sin uh, before you. Uh, go, go earlier in the morning. It's pretty easy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my third, uh, am I simply uncomfortable because of appearances or my assumptions? And really, that's what it boils down to, right? We just get uncomfortable because they're not like us. Or they're acting weird. Uh, you, you know, uh, it's just, you know, there's some facts. Sometimes you know some things. You're like, okay, I am uncomfortable with them because they're weird or unsafe. But most of the time... When we make these judgments, we just don't know. So um, just to keep in mind, Romans 3.23. And so just for notes, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That includes you who's making this judgment and who is acting in judgmentalism. And then Romans 6.23. I like how whoever put this together, 3.23, 6.23, so we can kind of remember them fairly easily Um, but 623 is for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord and so again uh, we are sinners saved by grace everyone comes to Jesus or you know to the father the same way 
sinners who need mercy. So um, this helps us remember and realize that no sin is greater than another. And that's really another challenge we have in our society. Sin is, I heard this quote, sin is equally weighted. And that's something for us. Now, consequences are, are two different, are different than the weight of sin. You know, whether I lie or whether I murder somebody, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So they're both weighted equally in the sight of God. Now, on this side of heaven, there's consequences. There's a different consequence for stealing a candy bar at a store as a kid than murdering somebody and getting caught. And, and you know, there's a difference in there. But as far as the sin, sin is equally weighted. We get messed up with the consequence of sin. And we, we kind of look lightly on certain sins and more heavily on other sins. But in God's eyes, sin is equally weighted. And so we're not talking again about consequences. We're talking about the offense to God is equally weighted. Um, and so that's, that's something that's hard for us to understand because we definitely realize that stealing a candy bar is way different than murdering somebody, right? Uh, as far as this side of heaven. But in God's eyes, like you still stole. He says, do not steal in the Ten Commandments. And he did it. So you broke the law of God. The wages of that sin is death. It says, do not murder also in the Ten Commandments. You broke that law. The wages of that sin is death. So they're weighted equally. Um, consequences, not so much. Luke 18. Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Okay, tax collectors were, they didn't like them in that day. They were horrible people, always cheating people. Pharisees obviously were right. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house just, justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted." So here we have a realistic idea. Uh, and this is a great illustration of what he's saying in Matthew 7. Don't judge, lest you be judged. He's saying, look, you as a Pharisee is looking at this tax letter. I thank you, I'm not like that dog over there. I'm, not, I'm pointing to the empty chair. Uh, but I'm not like that dog over there, right? You know, because at least I do all these things. And the other guy's going, Lord, have mercy. And, God, and Jesus is saying, that guy's more justified than the first guy. Because he understands that he is poor in spirit and he needs God. So the Pharisee did not deal with the sin in his own life, but only looked past it to be judgmental. And I think something that we challenge in our society is how honest are we really with ourselves? Um, we justify everything. Be who you want to be. We don't, we don't look down upon on anything. I mean, the whole idea of, of participation in sports is weird because we don't want anyone to feel like a loser. Well, you're not a loser if you lose a sports game. You lost the contest. Just doesn't mean you're a loser. You lost the contest. Um, and so, and it builds, you know, instead, oh, everyone participates. It's like, okay, it's nice. I understand the sentiment there, but it doesn't really help 
that kid or those people be strong and live life. It's a side note. So I think of, I heard the example of, of like a gnat um, flying in, into your eye. So a lot of times in human cultures, there's a lot of these little gnats. I kind of feel like the gnat that flies next to your ear is so irritating. But if there's one, if you've ever had one fly into your eye, and many of us have if you've been around, it's like the biggest bug has just landed in your eye and you can't see. And you're like, come on, get out, get out, get out. And it's like that in your eye and you're trying to help somebody else get something out of their eye because your sin is what Jesus is addressing, is, should be, it's closer to you, so it should be a bigger deal to you than the sin in other people's lives. Right? And so these Pharisees, and and well, I don't want to just pick on the Pharisees because all the tendency in human nature, we're looking past and not dealing with their sin because it's easier to look at somebody else's sin and deal with them and I feel better about myself rather than what's closest to us is this sin that's blurring and blocking our vision. So our, clo- our sin is closer than us. So that even the gnat, though it's in your eye, feels larger than life. And that is really what should our attitude should be towards sin. Um, and I think as we grow in the Lord, we take confidence in the work of Christ on our behalf, but we really are sen- more sensitive to the sin that dwells within us. And we're like, Man, I can't believe I did that again. You know, and we're like, oh. And we realize how dependent continually we are upon the Lord and how his Holy Spirit is, is growing us. And it's not that we, take this for how I say it, it's not that we're sinning more. It's just we're more sensitive to the sin that still remains within our flesh. And so because the idea of, of God sanctifying us, which he does that work in us, is we will grow in grace and mercy and our hearts will be turned more in tune with the Lord and we, would, we wouldn't be sinless, but we would sin less. But the reality is we still will struggle with sin until the day we take our last breath. And as we grow in the Lord, usually, you know, uh, um, I'm always amazed that I'm surprised that I have a bad attitude. I, I, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say something to Laura and I'll be like, you know, I'm just totally justified in that. It's the morning. Don't talk to me in the morning. You know that. It's not my fault. It's like, no, it's your sin. It's your sin. Uh, but I try to justify it because, you know, it's so too close and I don't want to feel like a failure instead of going, okay, Lord, I need your help. I need to be gentle. I'm not gentle. And so again, your sin is closer to you. So we need to deal with that sin first before we can even deal with anybody else's. There's a sin of proximity. So Jesus explained that we should not be judgmental of others when we have not been honest about the sin in our own lives. And that's what he's telling the people here. Steve. Going back to the, uh, uh, Matthew 7 over there. Is that the difference between the, the speck and the log? Basically, the log over there, I don't know the, the, the massiveness of the sin, but uh, the, the log, I mean, it should be personal, painful, like you're saying. No matter how big, if it's in your eye, you're not going to be able to see to help anybody else. Well, and what Jesus is saying is, is you're not dealing with your own sin, yeah. so you're not qualified to deal with somebody else's sin. And so again, again, that's where we go back to, if I'm going to judge, I need to... Uh, make sure I know all the facts to make sure I'm not just making some assumptions and then I can discern the truth because I mean, okay, here's the thing. If, if my kid is taking off and running into the street, I'm going to make a judgment to stop them and probably spank them because I probably told them not to do that. Sorry, I'm one of those guys that would do that, um, you know, and do that. And I made a judgment that they were acting in rebellion and, and disobeying me. 
right? But that was based on, on, on truth of what they were doing. And so it's not something that, that was wrong that I judged them and gave them a consequence in that moment. And so like when we have a brother or sister where we know there's the, the cliff is there at the end and they're going this direction because they're just uh, deceived by the world for a time. And we know it for sure. And we have that relationship with them. It's, it's our job to pause and say, as, as someone who loves you, what you're doing is not good, nor is it glorifying to God and it's not healthy for you. Um, and so, um, but again, make sure, <laughs> make sure you pause and go, wait a second, it, Lord, forgive me because I, I, you know, I, we want to be accountable to one another, but there's I, I, maybe m- most of you have probably never been around people like this. I've grown up in church. There's some people that are just sniffing sin all day long. That's all they do. They go around and they point at everybody else, point at everybody else. And I think that's where the phrase came. When you point one finger at you, three are always pointing back at or other, you know, at you. I think that's where that came from. But the, and, and this is very similar principle is that, you know, who are you? To go around and point. In fact, if you're pointing all the sin out and everybody else, you're actually probably the greater sinner. And so, um, yes, you had a question, Connie. Okay. What I understand is that you don't even, that everybody sin mm-hmm. every single day. You may not know what you're saying about, but everyone sins. Mm-hmm. So how could you tell someone else that they were sinning? Because you're a Pharisee <laughs> and you're filled with pride. I mean, but I mean, so let's take a, this is a, it's a horrible example, but I'll, I'll give, I'll give it. I mean, it's a good example. I just, a horrible situation. You're a, you, you know that a friend of yours, they're going to church, they're, they're a couple and you know, he's sleeping around and yet he's coming to church on Sunday mornings and claiming like everything's right. His wife doesn't know about it. You know, it would be, if you know about it and you don't call him out on it. Um, you're not doing your job as a Christian, right? If you're friends, if you're, excuse me, if, if you know this guy, right? Obviously, you would have to know him to know that he was doing that. Um, and so that's why it's important that we have close relationships within the church so that, so that we can love one another enough to go, hey, you know, so I've, I've, here's a, be, a, a better example, maybe. Um, you know, I'll spend time with people and after three or four months of hanging out with them, and there's this one attitude that is just ungodly that keeps coming up. And I'll finally say, you know, you keep talking about this person in this way. I said, I'm not sure that's of the Holy Spirit. Your attitude doesn't seem to be loving and caring. Um, you know, but again, I've had that relationship with them to where they can receive it. And I don't just go blast them and say, how dare you talk about that other person? Um, but again, and it's not just because I'm a pastor. Um, it, it, it's, it's really part of the Christian relationship that we have with one another, um, that we love one another enough and have relationship with one another enough that we would tell one another the truth with a great amount of love. And when we do it that way, you know, I had a friend who took me, I was uh, resisting the Lord of moving over to Karen Park. We had been driving for a couple years um, to, do, to lead worship. And, I had all, and so he says, hey, let's go. Um, get a part for his car. Pick and pull, not my place. But anyway, he took me with him. And so we went, and he goes, hey, you know, I, I really, he goes, I've been praying about it. He goes, I, I really feel like you're resisting God's will. And so we started talking about it. And he goes, so what's the reason you're not moving over there? I said, well, I started coming up with all these excuses. You know, I've got money to get to a place. We could, kids are in good schools, you know, all this stuff. You know, I got to have a job over there. And, and so he's like, well, he goes, I just want to encourage you. You're not happy because you're not in God's will. And, uh, and so 
Um, and, but I knew he loved me. And so I knew it was coming from a place of someone who I respected as a godly man. And so it wasn't like he's telling me, oh, you're such a sinner. He was saying, hey, what you're doing it has come to a point where it's, it's, it's causing a problem in your life. And I want to help you through it. Um, and so, you know, and what did we do? I mean, the next week I had a job transfer and a guy had an p- apartment for us and the kids had a better school. I mean, it was just like, okay, you know, maybe I shouldn't be so stubborn. Um, but again, so I think it's more of those things. The judging is, and that's the right kind of judgment. It's a friendship judgment. Hey, you know, it's not good for you to have that other drink. <laughs> you know, it's not good for you to drive home, uh, you know, because you've had so much. Let me drive you home. That's, that's the kind of real judgment we want to have within the Christian within the Christian fellowship, what the Pharisees were doing was pointing fingers. You're not this, you're not this, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. Look at me. I fast twice a week. I do, I do all this stuff. You should be thinner. No, just kidding. No. Uh, do you have a quick thing? Oh, for I was going to say that you can use humor that my first wife, we were visiting her, um, her mom, dad and mom down in Arizona, her brother comes over there, and it was, it was comical because he knew that um, Marilyn was a, a radical Christian. I mean, she... She uh, wasn't bashful at all. Anyway, he comes up there and he goes, Jesus Christ. And I go, you became a Christian. That's wonderful. He did it in big and I just come back. Well, he did it three times. And the second time I was just, man, that's wonderful. When did you accept the Lord? And then the third time, and he stopped. And I never heard him yeah. <laughs> yeah. ever again. And I, and I just thought that was, I thought that was comical of just uh, coming in the opposite spirit and using it from a, a positive thing. But anyway, yeah. it struck me as being, uh, humorous. Well, come from your mouth, it probably was. So. <laughs> Romans chapter 2, verse 1. So Paul in chapter 1 goes through this, this whole thing about how perfect everything was and how debased people came. Um, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resemble a mortal man and they worship the creature rather than the creator. In, in chapter 2 of Romans, verse 1, he says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Again, um, Jews, <laughs> they, as long I'm God's child. I can do what I want. I, I, go, I go this, I do this, I do this. They don't. Um, but I can do those things because I do these other things, so I'm okay. And really, the heart was the issue, too. You know, who cares if you show up on Sunday morning, but your heart is just wicked and lustful all the time? Who cares if you look like you're the most devoted husband in the world when behind everyone's back you're watching pornography or whatever? I mean, this is, this is the, what we have in, 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 in our society today. And, and, and so Paul calls them out. Jesus calls them out. And again... We wouldn't call him out, but this is what he's saying is a state of the, of, of the world and mankind. And so we have the tendency, though, also, we need to understand this, to see people's sin as greater than our own. It's just natural. Oh, I can't believe they did that. Again, if we truly believe that sin is equally weighted, well, I didn't, you know, I didn't uh, kidnap somebody. I didn't do this. I didn't do that, right? Instead, I only stole, you know, five bucks. That person stole, you know, hundreds of thousands or whatever. Uh, Instead of saying, wait a second, it's still a sin and it's an offense to God. Um, And so we need to realize, and we're we're afraid of that. We have self-preservation and we're afraid to honestly judge how wicked and horrible we really are. Yet we all know, we all know deep down, I'm so glad that God is merciful because I need it. Because it doesn't matter what sin you've committed, whether it's been a 
crazy egregious sin or just you've been a pretty good kid your whole life. There's still an offense to God. So being judgmental impedes the path also to salvation. Let's look at John 12. We want people to be saved. And what is one of the things that that a lot of the world thinks about Christians? You guys are judgmental. It impedes the path to salvation. So verse 47 of John chapter 12. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Okay, so God's heart, and if we're Christians and if we're Christ-like, his heart's to save the world. Not to judge. He will judge at some point in time. Don't get me wrong. But that's not our place. That's his place. And so again, so if we have someone who hears the gospel and they say, ah, I don't want that. Right? And we go, well, pff, you're going to hell then. Uh, that's not our call. <laughs> that's not our call. Our call is to pray for them and look for opportunities and pray that somebody else would share the gospel with them. Because often the ones you love the most that you're trying to get them to become a believer, you're not the one that's going to lead them to Christ. Somebody else that, that comes from the outside, you're too connected to them. And they, sometimes they know too much about you too. So they're like, ah, we're waiting to see if this sticks for a while. So we're holding on to that. So if Jesus did not come to judge but to save, we have no place in this type of judgment. So then how should we rightly judge? 1 Corinthians 2, 15. Because it's easier to say, well, I'm just not going to judge at all. Well, okay, but you, as being a Christian, we want to help one another. And we, uh, 12, 1 Corinthians, or 2, 15, excuse me, I'm sorry. I was looking at another number when I, for 1 Corinthians 2, verse 15 says this. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Okay, so first of all, we understand that, that a spiritual person judges all things. Okay, what does that mean? Well, in order to have to rightly discern truth and to rightly make judgment, you have to be born again. You have to be born of the Spirit. And so, again, I think much to what a lot of us struggle with is, well, it's just better not to judge at all. That's actually wisdom, to be honest with you. It's, it's better to just say, I, that's not my place. Um, but at the same time, Lord, help me love others. Help me love my brother and sister in Christ. Help me love my neighbor as myself. Help me love. And so when we do that, that will bring us to a point to where we spiritually judge something. Like if you know somebody needs Jesus Christ because you know they're not a believer, that's a spiritual judgment. You, you know, you're just going, that person needs the Lord. So 1 Corinthians, since we're there, chapter 11. Verses 31 and 32. <clears throat> But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But we are, when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So when we judge ourselves, um, we would not be judged. And again, that's going back to, am I dealing with my own sin? Am I so busy looking at other people's sins that I'm ignoring the log that's in my eye right here? So you're not going to talk about context of communion there, are you? Okay, go ahead. I don't want to get in that minutiae right now. <laughs> one of the things that it says, uh, for with the judgment you pronounce, uh, yeah. you will be judged, and with the measure that you measure, it will be measured to you. That's a terrifying watchword that's been brought home to me. Of the, the, the judgment we're talking about, what God would judge you, 
you you there's probably a law, a spiritual law that that it's going to come back on mm-hmm. you if you're mean and nasty and whatever it is. Yep. There's probably going to you're not going to get a lot of wonderful responses. Right. And if you you are kind and you're like funny, people are going to you yeah. Then, then you're fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hebrews ten verse thirty. <laughs> Hebrews 10, verse 30. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. So I think we need to be careful of a couple of things. First of all, honest evaluation of our desperation and our own sin. Secondly, we need to try not to take the place of God. There's sometimes I want to. There's sometimes I really want people to be judged. But we need to be careful not to do that. So, here are some simple ways to rightly judge. This is what you're all wanting to know. Give me just a simple answer. Number one is deal with your own sin first. Recognize my need and the mercy and grace that I long for and God's great provision for Christ. So that's the first thing. Recognizing that. Number two is to have the right heart. Why am I wanting to judge this person? Is it, is it because um, am I being judgmental due to appearances or assumptions and I want to be comfortable with them? Is it, is it something that's bothering me in another person? Is it really sin? Or is it only just something that makes me feel kind of weird or uncomfortable, right? Is it really sin? Um, you, you know, we have, to, we have to understand what's my heart. Is my heart um, wanting them to to know the the truth of Jesus and the life everlasting, or is it just to make me comfortable? It's one of the things that I heard years ago as parenting tip, and we never did, oh, well, I can't speak for you. I never did it right. Am I disciplining my children um, for my comfort or for for their benefit or my convenience, right? And often, you know, you're just wanting to discipline your children because you're bothered by them. (laughs) At least I was. I I can't. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. Like, why? I mean, there's really no reason other than it bothers me, You, you know. Um, so, uh, and then number three, do I desire the right purpose in judging another? This means that we long for this person to be closer to Christ, be released from bondage and to walk along beside them. Um, and so again, when we, when we're making a judgment, these things, you you know, first deal with my own sin. I'm going to need that screen. (laughs) He's being big helper. Uh, you know, uh, I'm going to need, or, Am I, do I desire them to know Christ? To see that this is separating a relationship with Christ. Am I wanting them to be released from bondage? And am I willing to walk alongside with them? I mean, that's a good, really good measure of if I'm really judging rightly is, hey, I see this in your life. I want to walk through this together with you rather than just say, you need to fix this. <laughs> what about the, uh, the, the blessing? Of, uh, and I had uh, a number of brothers over there that uh, if I'm dealing with struggle and attitude and action word, thought or need or they are where they have a comfort with it's not a judgment thing where they come over there, hey I'm dealing with this problem. I, I have this situation and my, how do you view my uh, uh, how do you view my thing? I've got a friend over there, dear brother, he's an elder in the church and his uh, his uh, daughters are calling him a, a racist. And, and you know a bigot or racist. Couldn't you they're learning school or college I says you're probably the least racist person I know. I mean, I, you know, you, you know, I've never seen in the 40 years I've known you, I've never heard of a racist or a comment mm-hmm. uh, of a degrading. And so basically it's nice to be able to share with a brother or sister, 
do you see this in me? You know, sometimes yeah. uh, it's it's powerful to have a, a, a person to be able to share it with. All right, let's wrap this up with three final scriptures. Proverbs 11, verse 2. Proverbs 11, verse 2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. So all these attributes of what, how am I going to judge something or someone, right? I'm going to deal with my own sin first, have the right heart, and desire the right purpose and why I'm doing it. That's, very, that's wisdom, and it's not prideful. It's not prideful. Proverbs 16, verse 18. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And we would look at the words of Jesus in Matthew 7, and he's really, I think, out of love saying, hey, quit doing this. It's not good. It's not good. Deal with your own sin first. Have the right heart towards others and be willing to walk alongside. And don't just judge by assumptions. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. So if you think you've got it all together, Paul's saying take heed. (laughs) That's not a good place to be. Lord, thank you that you are so good to us. Help us to have the right heart. Help us to, by your mercy and grace, by your spirit, to be able to deal with our sin. Lord, our sin is overwhelming to us that we have fallen short because we have uh, not met the standard of God. And so, Lord, uh, thank you that, that you make us new so that we can look at who we are in Christ, that you've won the victory for us. Help us to love one another. And Lord, help us also to desire more than anything that people would know you and that their walk with Christ would be strong and we'd be willing to walk alongside them in their pursuit of Jesus. Senor, and then we pray. Amen. Amen.